Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Philemon? That's in between Titus and Hebrews. We're going to read the first seven verses, and then next week we'll finish up this short letter from Paul to his friend. Philemon, we'll read through verse 7. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So I'm going to start a short two-week story on the importance of right relationships among Christ followers. It's a story of three men. It's a story of uh, a mentor um, to two of the men, Philemon. Paul is that, and he's a mentor to um, Philemon and a guy named Onesimus. It's a story of someone who's been wronged and how he is called to live out forgiveness and, and to reconcile his relationship. Let me give you a little bit of background. Paul started the church in Ephesus. We likely think that he probably sometime around that time also, a hundred miles away, was a city called Colossae. It was more inland in modern day Turkey. Ephesus was on the coast. So about a hundred miles in, kind of to the uh, just almost due east of Ephesus was the city of Colossae. And so Paul probably either directly started the church in Colossae or indirectly um, he did that. We know that a guy named Epaphras, who was also in prison right as Paul is writing this with him in Rome, um, may have been a leader in this church and may have been an initial pastor of the church who comes a companion with Paul. We learn about him in Colossians 1-2 in chapter 4, verse 12. But within this short letter, we see that Philemon was a very influential member and that the church met inside of his house. Philemon was a man who was deeply um, vested in the church in Colossae. You do that, and we all should do that, should be deeply invested in the church that we attend and are a member of. And so he was so a leader. It's very clear about that. It seems to be, you will see today, was a very godly man. He likely probably was a very influential uh, man in regard to uh, business dealings. And the church met inside of his house. So this letter is another one of Paul's prison letters that is connected to his first imprisonment in Rome. It was written sometime around 62 to 64 AD, more likely closer to 62. It was written at the same time as the book of Colossians. Both letters, Colossians and Philemon, we'll see in a little bit, were carried from prison by 
Onesimus and a guy named Tychicus. And they were going to carry this, both letters, the letter to Philemon and, the, and what we call the book of Colossians. They were going to carry that back to the church for the church that was there. This letter reveals to us how the gospel changes and transforms everything. That when the gospel comes into our lives, it brings a dramatic effect. So Onesimus is a slave. And we'll talk about this in just a moment by way of introduction. So he's a slave working and living under Philemon. One day he decides, I'm tired of this, and we don't know exactly what the full circumstances are, but it's clear that he steals, most likely steals from Philemon, and he takes off and he leaves. Um, we don't have any, have any idea about what his faith was like before this, but we know this, that he travels a thousand miles away and lands in the city of Rome. He is under capital punishment as a slave fleeing from your owner. And God has a tremendous sense of humor. So he flees from a believer, Philemon, flees from being around a church in Colossae. He lands in Rome and sometime in Rome, through other believers that are connected to Paul, he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul and becomes a follower of Jesus. And what he was when he left is now transformed in Rome. He has been born again. He has become a follower of Jesus, being mentored and discipled by Paul, Timothy. Luke is around, having influence of those people in his life. And so it's a story how the gospel, again, transforms everything. Onesimus' life is transformed. Philemon and Onesimus are going to have an opportunity to have a transformed relationship because of what has happened and taken place in the relationship as Onesimus has fled. Let me remind you and I of something glorious that comes to us because of the gospel of Christ. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, to the church there. Um, you'll know this to be very familiar to you, but hear it again, hopefully with fresh ears this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So Onesimus, thinking I'm just going to get away from this life that I don't like, arrives in Rome and becomes a follower. And you know this, and when you become a follower of Jesus, your worldview begins to change. You begin to see things differently. And so he and Paul begin to have a conversation, and the conversation centers around this. Onesimus, you can't stay here. Now, you can come back, but you've got to go back to Colossae, and I'm going to write a letter, and you've got to go back, and you've got to talk to Philemon, and you've got to own up to what you've done in your relationship with him. You've become a Christian now. you become a follower. And so this aspect of the change that the gospel brings is seen here. We will see in this study that Paul is asking a very close friend of his who has been greatly mistreated, he's had a hurt, he's been wronged, that he is being asked to forgive someone who has wronged him. All of us know this. There's not a possibility of living on planet Earth of not being wronged by somebody. All of us have been wronged by someone. All of us have wronged others. And the way that that reconciliation comes is that there's responsibility taken 
Confession happens in seeking reconciliation. And so this is what Paul is asking of Philemon. And so this fact of our lives is there. And so he's asking Philemon to come to a place and work to a place of forgiveness. Sometimes, let's just be totally honest, sometimes there are wounds that come to us in relationship that it takes us a bit to, to, to get to the place, to work up to the place, to get where we're ready to reconcile and, and we are to forgive. Even though, even though Peter came to Jesus one day and said, how many times should I forgive? So up to seven and Jesus, if you remember, said what? No, 70 times 7. At least up to 490 times you should forgive. And the idea there is, no, as believers, we, we forgive. But sometimes it's hard, right? And so this is what Paul is asking his friend. Now, we will see in this short letter that's almost like a postcard. In a sense, David put that on uh, Facebook last night responding to the post. This is almost like a little postcard that, that comes back to Philemon and to the members of the church there. It has, it has great emphasis on Christ. Um, so in this, Paul writes, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Lord, God, God the Father, and grace is mentioned a couple of times. It's, it's, it's just full of the things that are necessary that we need um, in our lives. Let me take, give you an illustration. The story is told of two brothers who were convicted of stealing sheep in a community. They got in such trouble that they took a brand with the letters S and T and, and branded them on the foreheads of both brothers. One brother couldn't stand the stigma that was connected with that, that in the community where he had stolen sheep, uh, he couldn't live it anymore. And he became bitter and he left and he never returned. The other brother decided this, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here and I've got to overcome this and I'm going to communicate by my life and by my actions to everybody in the community that I'm different and that you can overcome things and things can change. So through the years and through the decades, he continued to live among the people and he gained a great reputation among the people. And one day, a stranger came to town and saw the man and saw the letters ST on his forehead and so asked one of the members who had lived in the community for a long time and said, what's the deal with that guy who's got the, the ST letters on his forehead? And and they said, you know what, it's something has to do with something that happened a long time ago. I don't remember what it means, but I, but I think it means saint. And I thought, what a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because let's, let's be real honest. There's not a person sitting in any seat in this room that we couldn't have something branded on our forehead that would be true about something in our past. To be absolutely true. And the call is not that, that what, what the world thinks about us and how the world sees us. The important thing is, are we willing to live in a way that is right in relationship and getting right in relationship and faithfully following the Lord? Now, as I said a while ago, I want to deal with something that's important and then we'll get into the text. Um, a lot of people, particularly in today's world among the younger generation, one of the attacks that they put upon Christianity and they put upon the Bible is that they read the letter to Philemon and says, the Bible affirms slavery. That is not what this letter is about, an affirmation of slavery. This was the reality of the Roman world at the time. And so here's what was happening and taking place. 
all across the Gentile world, you had Gentiles who were owners, rich people, and they had slaves. It's an interesting aspect of what happens. Is here's what you would have in a city. And it's what happened, obviously, in Colossae. You would have somebody who was owning people, which is always wrong, by the way. Can we be in agreement about that? It is wrong to own people. Wrong. But what was happening is the gospel was being spread out in the western part of the world. In the midst of this, you had slave owners and slaves at the same time that were coming to faith. And by law in the Roman world, this was still legal. It was still that... And so the church was having to deal with the reality of those things. And this is what this letter is about. Paul is not affirming that slavery is correct, that it's biblical. Paul is just simply addressing that there's a reality in the Roman world in which this was happening where slavery was still a reality. And sometimes with these things, as you know, it takes a long time for some of these things that are definitely wrong in cultures to be eradicated. As a matter of fact, um, I did a little bit of, of research, and, um, and I think I have it somewhere in here. There are still today, in 2022, 167 countries on the planet that practice this kind of slavery, where people still own other people. So this is not something, again, that has been eradicated, but if you do a careful search throughout history. The church has been very influential and eventually fighting against this and getting rid of this. So I I wanted to address that because this is one of the big attacks that that comes today against the Scripture is that um, they use uh, the letter to Philemon and other places where it says, um, slaves, you must submit yourselves to your masters. That's that's, that's telling them to, to submit to those who who own them, and now that they're a Christian, how do they relate to their slave owner? And so again, the purpose of all of this is this was the reality in the first century. And so a Christian who, a slave who had become a Christian, how did they live their lives now? And so, so the Bible and the writers are giving some direction in the midst of that, and it is not an affirmation of slavery um, at all. So as I said, Onesimus flees a thousand miles away from Colossae down to Rome. If you don't know how far that is, that's leaving uh, 6374 County Road 161, leaving this property and driving all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. That's how far a thousand miles is. So when Onesimus leaves Colossae, he's like, man, I'm getting out of here. And I'm going to get gone and I'm going to go hide myself in the big city of Rome and not be a slave anymore. But again, God has a great sense of humor because as he arrives there, he comes in contact with Paul who loves the gospel and somehow he becomes a believer and a follower of Jesus. A couple more things and then we'll get into the text. Philemon and Onesimus in the days ahead are going to have to do some relationship work. Sometimes in all of our lives we have some relationship work that has to be done. All relationships require work. Marriage is the easiest thing in the history of the world, isn't it? Right? It's just so easy. Parenting, the easiest task that God could give us, parenting, raising children. Not tr- neither one of those are true. Both of them are what? They're hard at times. So all 
significant relationships require work. But when, you have, but when you have in those relationships someone who's been wronged, it requires even more work. And so this one is necessary that Paul's going to write a letter back to help in the midst of this to try to help them get things correct. Now look with me in verse 1 and 2. And I want to talk first of all this morning about the local church and the valued relationships that should be in the midst of a local church. If you would, follow along with me again. And, and I want to read verse 1 and verse 2 and note the names. So Paul, the writer, he tells us about himself. He's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And Timothy is with him, our brother. So the letter is written to, from Paul and Timothy, to Philemon, three people he's writing this to, mainly to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So Paul here, it's interesting, as we talk about um, the valued relationships that, that take place and happen within the church, he is making an appeal to Philemon not from his authority as an apostle. I want you to note that. Sometimes our kids come to us and say, well, why can't I do that? And we say, because. And they're never satisfied with because. Well, well, why can't I do that? And then we think, because we don't talk about it, we just go, because I said so. And then they're like, no, because why? Because I'm your father, I'm your mother. And we, we appeal sometimes to our kids from a place of authority to try to get them to do something. And I want you to know, Paul's not doing this with Philemon. He's not saying, hey, Philemon, I'm telling you right now that, that from my authority as an apostle, you have to do this. He writes this, a very personal letter. He's writing not from his authority as an apostle, though he has that. He's writing as a fellow friend of Philemon, asking Philemon to live out his faith and to do so in such a way to think about the forgiveness that's come to Philemon and would he extend it to Onesimus when he returns. And so Paul gives us a unique insight um, here as he appeals from his friendship, not from his place as an authority. By the way, I love what's happening here. Paul is in Rome in prison. He's not living in sadness. Guess what he's doing in Rome? He's living out his faith. Concerned about discipling Onesimus, concerned about Onesimus and Philemon's relationship, as he's continuing to work, continuing to encourage, continuing to do things, not feeling sorry for himself, but writing a letter to see reconciliation come between two brothers now. And so Paul tells us here, he says, I'm a prisoner. This word prisoner in the Greek describes one who is captive or bound in bonds or chains. Paul's a prisoner in two ways. Let me tell you about those ways. One is he's, he's a prisoner, literal prisoner in Rome, of Rome, under the emperor. In this he has no choice. He's in prison, he's in chains, he's in jail because of his love of the gospel And so in this, he has no choice at all. He's been arrested for his faith, being an instigator, and there he is in Rome. He is in prison. But there's another aspect of being a prisoner that Paul wants to note that's the bigger one. The other one has bound him and confined him in a prison cell, 
But there's another prison and another way that he's a prisoner that's given him freedom, and that is he is a prisoner of Christ. That Christ is the one who's guiding his life. And so, so Paul looks at his life, and one, he has no choice about being a prisoner of Rome. And another one, he has a choice about being a prisoner of Jesus and submitting his life to following Christ. And so Paul teaches us that we should not let the present state of affairs in our lives keep us from faithfully walking in a relationship with God's will. And so Paul says, I'm a prisoner. He never saw himself as a prisoner of of, of persecution. He never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome. He never saw himself as a prisoner of, of his pain. He always saw himself as a prisoner, captive and captivated by being a follower of Jesus. And then he lets us in that Timothy's with him. Timothy's right there by his side. Paul and Timothy had a strong bond with one another. There was a mentor, father-son kind of relationship, but they were also friends and brothers. He writes it to Philemon, and he calls Philemon our beloved fellow worker. Philemon's name is a Phrygian name, and it means affectionate, beloved, and one who kisses. And so his name was one that kind of indicated that he was a very deeply loving man, an interesting man. The next one, it says, to Aphia, our sister. Aphia means fruitful, and many believe that Aphia is probably Philemon's wife. Some people believe that the next name that's mentioned may be their son, Archippus. Um, We're not totally for sure. His name, Archippus, means master of the horse. And so some scholars believe that he's possibly the son of Philemon and Aphia. And he may have even been, in some ways, the pastor of the church in Colossae at this time, according to Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. It's interesting that Paul calls Archippus... Um, and again, I probably wouldn't, if you're going to have any children, name them Archippus. Um, you could just call them Chip. But his name means one who is a soldier, one who is a comrade in arms, one who is in the midst of a band of brothers, one who fights shoulder to shoulder with someone else. And so when Paul thinks back upon Archippus, he's someone that fought the good fight with Paul in regard to the gospel shoulder to shoulder. And so his name seems to indicate that he was serving in ministry like the apostle Paul was. As a matter of fact, Colossians 4.17 says this. And so again, you'll see this in a moment, that that from Rome, um, Onesimus um, and, a guy, and another guy, they're going to take these both letters back. And so Paul writes in Colossians 4.17, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And so he was in ministry in some particular way. So we know this also, that in the home of Philemon, that this, this church met in his house. We have no idea how big it was. And so some people have also done this, and we correct a, a misunderstanding that also is out there even still today, that they, they, they look at this and say this, that churches should only meet in houses. Well, in the first century, it was difficult to, to have bigger places, and that kind of came later. And so um, as you actually read the New Testament, 
and you read the gospel and you read the book of Acts, they met, the church met in public places that were established and they also met in homes. Both of them are biblical. So a church can meet in a place like this, a church can meet in a home, and they're both churches as long as it is following the biblical teaching in regard to what the definition that the Bible gives us in regard to the church. Let me also remind us this morning that this building is called Life Point. This is not the church. Who's the church? We are. This is where Life Point people meet and their friends and guests. But the church is not a building. The church are the called out ones, the people of God. So I, I say this. I'm, I'm going up to Life Point, and when I say that, is, uh, I'm not going to where you are. I'm coming up to this location that's here. And so we, we need to remember that, that the church is the called out people of God who are in relationship with one another. Now we're going to put this up on the screen. I want you to note what Paul writes in this letter. He's going to talk about the fellows that are in Philemon's life and in Paul, really in, in Paul's life. Philemon, in verse 1, is called a fellow worker. In verse 2, Archippus is called a fellow soldier. Epaphras, in verse 23 of this letter, is called a fellow prisoner. He's from Colossae, and he's in prison now with Rome. He had been arrested along with Paul. Colossians 1, uh, 7, 7 says this, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant... He is a faithful minister of Christ. And so he is in prison with Paul as well. In the very end of this letter, Mark is mentioned, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and they are called fellow workers. Interestingly, of those four, Demas will eventually walk away from Paul and he will walk away from the gospel and he will flee to a place called Thessalonica He has found something there that is better than the gospel. And so in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. I tell you, sometimes in church life and in valued relationships, it's heartbreaking when people walk away from the gospel and they walk away from the Lord and they turn away and they, they fall in love with the world. Now, why have I spent time just talking about a bunch of names? I spent time talking about a bunch of names that Paul felt were important to mention. And Paul's writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit because it teaches us about local church life. I had the vantage point this morning to be able to see everybody in the room this morning. And I could call out, I think I can call out everybody's name almost. Don't put me to the test. You mean a lot to me. I love you. Those of you that I've, we've been in this for over 14 years now together. Some of you have have been over a little over a decade. Some of you have been here just about six months. And I want to say to you this morning that you matter to me in my life. As I prayed about this morning, I prayed about the value that happens when we do this. 
that, it, that encourages me that you're here. And if you weren't here, I can think of people that, that I love that aren't here this morning. And I miss them. I wish they were here this morning. And here's the thing, that relationships should be within the church the kind of thing where we ache when others aren't around. And it should matter. And we should speak well of one another. My fellow brother, my fellow sister, my fellow soldier, we should speak this way together. And the reason why this gathering is so important, Sunday after Sunday that we do this, it reminds us that there is a value to Christian relationships that you cannot get out in the world. Now, a church can have really bad relationships. That, that can be the case. And, it, and at times, that can be even the case in our own lives. But I just want to remind us this morning that, that Paul is in a prison cell in Rome. And he's rejoicing, thinking about people that he's in relationship with that he can't travel and go see right now. But because of the community and the, the uniting of the gospel together, he finds joy in prison thinking about that the church in Colossae is meeting together, they're worshiping together, and he's thinking about, I can't wait to hear about Onesimus getting back and reconciling with Philemon, and I want to hear the testimony of the forgiveness that comes in that relationship. We should value the church, not just because of music or anything else. We want to value the church, also highly, highly value the church because of relationships. To know that there are people that you can count on. And so as Paul writes this here, there's a joy of Christian relationships that he is emphasizing in a strong way. And so he runs through the letter thinking and mentioning all of these names. He mentions 11 names in this little postcard. Paul, Timothy, Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Ten men and one woman. He even mentions a church indicating other people meeting in Philemon's house. You know what's interesting about Paul? Which we should embrace what Paul did. He didn't ever come into a community as a celebrity pastor. You know what he did? He came in and he built relationships with people. And later on when he would pray for them, they would would enter into his mind. If you'll read Paul's letters, a number of them will say this, I always thank my God when I am praying and I'm thinking about you. He didn't come in going, I'm Paul. He came in and he sat down at people's tables. He came to chili cook-offs. And did y'all hear that the pastor won last Sunday night? I don't know if y'all knew that or not. I won the chili cook-off. Ginger Hill. I dethroned you. It did take a year, but it was, yeah, it's okay. She had a year to keep me away from winning, too. Now think about this for a second. Now again, I value Ginger Hill, and so we can laugh together this way, and I know she values me. This is the beauty of relationships, laughing together, heart connections with one another, playfully teasing, 
in a God-centered way. I guess I had a little bit of arrogance, but, but get this. We are to never walk in here, and this includes me, who has the title of pastor. I'm to be like you. I need you. And I hope that you need me. And I hope that you need one another and that we all need each other to faithfully walk this thing called Christianity. This is what Paul did. We know that he stayed in Ephesus for three years. Do you think he lived in kind of a monastic lifestyle away from everybody? No, you know the Apostle Paul for three years just invested his life into those people. He would travel, no doubt, travel to Colossae and invest his life into the people there. There is a richness to relationships that we should treasure. And Paul teaches us that. This letter teaches us that. Here's the second thing. Because we have these richness of relationships, how should we see one another? How should we respond to one another? Well, the next thing is there. Look at verse 3. Here's what we ought to long for others to experience that we have these valued relationships with. So in verse 3 says, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me talk about these two things. This is what, this is what you ought to long for me. This is what I ought to long for you. This is what you ought to long for one another. We want to long that everybody would experience the, the beauty and the wonder of the grace of God. The grace of God, this, is, this word grace is a, is a Greek word called charis. It comes from a Greek word called kairo or kairo, which means to rejoice. In the olden days, um, King James Version, if you've got one of those this morning, it will say the word charity in it. Um, used to be a great word. We've kinda, we have the word charity kind of means something a little bit different, but it's still a really, really beautiful word. Charity and a giving, a giving to people who need it. And this is what God did, that, that God would do this. And so charis definition, the, the word grace means this. It means favor upon someone, loving kindness being extended to someone, and the goodwill of God being given to someone. And so as Paul is thinking about Philemon, he's thinking about Aphia, and he's thinking about um, Archippus, and he's thinking about the church that meets in their house, and as he thinks about and hoping that Onesimus and Philemon will reconcile their relationship, he is praying that the, the favor of God, that the loving kindness of God, and that the goodwill of God would be poured out upon people and would be poured out upon them. This is how we ought to pray for one another. That I should pray for you, you should pray for me, we should pray for one another, that the favor of God, the loving kindness of God, this gift of God of Himself, would be poured out upon us called grace, and that we would live in the midst of that. Now let me give you a little scenario. Um, Can you put that verse up there? This is Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. So listen, listen what's happening. A guy named Tychicus and Onesimus are bringing what we call the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians back to Colossae. Now look at this. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. 
that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, if you would, Becca, please leave that up there. Let me tell you what was happening. So, so Paul writes the letter of, a fee, of Philemon, and then he writes the letter of what we call the book of Colossians, and he hands it to these two guys, and they're to leave Rome, and they're going to go travel a thousand miles by land all the way back to Colossae. Now, I want you to think about this. Onesimus is a new believer. He's learning about things, but he knows he's going to have to go back and get things right with Philemon, and he doesn't know how that's going to go. Now, think about this for a second. Over a thousand miles, just ponder with me for a second. How many times did they read those two letters? How many times on the way back over a thousand miles that Onesimus would unroll that scroll and he would read that letter that's going to Philemon, he would see his name there. He would, he would read the book of Colossians and he would hear about this great God who is merciful, who clothes us, who's chosen us, who has graced us and who has blessed us. And he would begin to learn about grace. He would read that verse that we call Colossians 4, 7 through 9. He would see his name in that letter. And he would see that, that Paul calls him a faithful and beloved brother. And he would begin to learn about grace. That God takes who we used to be, where we could brand our foreheads with something, all of us could, and that God makes something of our lives through His grace and through salvation. And so Paul praised this grace. I think over and over, they probably talked about this over a thousand miles. You can talk about a lot of things. And can you imagine, do they talk about Colossians, that we know Colossians chapter 3 and other things, and they began to learn about the, the peace of God. So, so Paul prays for grace, and then he also prays for peace, and we should pray for peace. Let me talk to you about this word peace. This word peace means in the Greek to join or bind something together that has now been separated. It is to bring it back into a, a place of connection and relationship. It's a, it's a picture of, of what's been separated is now and divided is now united again. It's been brought back together. So it's actually a word that you could say having it all together. And so, so Paul is praying. I'm praying for God's favor to fall upon you. But I'm also praying for this for you, Philemon, when Onesimus gets there, that the peace of God would return again in your relationship what once was there has now been separated and as he comes back i'm praying that y'all would know the peace it's interesting as well that when the greeks in the first century would greet one another they would they would use the word grace to greet one another the jews would say shalom which means what peace so when Paul's writing here, he's using what the Greeks consistently said to one another. He's writing what the Jews consistently said to one another. And in many of these churches, you had Gentiles and Jews that were meeting together. And he's using these two phrases that are there. Let's look at verse 4 now. 
So when we have richness of relationships, we should be praying for God's grace and God's favor to be upon one another, that God would bring peace, a unity, and that should lead us to have a mind of thankfulness for others. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. This word thanks is a Greek word that means to be thankful and to be grateful. It's actually a word that kind of carries the idea that there is an obligation that we have to be really grateful of all the things that are in our lives, especially people. To be deeply grateful for the people that are in our lives. We're to live in such a way where we recognize the grace of God that is in our life in light of His great goodness that has come to us in the relationships of the people that are there. And this is how Paul prayed often for Philemon. He had been such a blessing to Paul. I know in my own life that when I'm living less grateful, there's always an issue, and the issue is with me. I am, I'm not being grateful and I'm not being thankful when my life is full of doke and my thoughts of myself and, and what others maybe aren't doing for me or what somebody has said. But when I put myself aside and I pray and I think about people that I love, there's a thankfulness that is there. And so, so this is what Paul's doing. Again, he's not feeling far, sorry for himself as he is in a prison in Rome. He's, he's incredibly thankful. He's thinking of Philemon. He's thinking of Aphia and Archippus and the church that's there. He's longing for this, this, this restoration of relationship to come. And so as he prays, he is incredibly, incredibly thankful. So I did something on Friday as I was walking through this. I thought about how unique it must have been for Paul who he traveled everywhere and he had all kinds of people in his life that he was grateful for. People that had come to faith people that he had been in persecution with and how there was a unity there. And I thought about how people all over Asia Minor and in a number of different places that Paul has such a fondness for those people. And I thought about some of my friends in Nepal. So I took out my phone sitting at our kitchen and I began to send messages. I prayed first for all of them and I began to send messages to the people Um, in my life in Nepal it was midnight there and about two minutes later my messenger app from Facebook popped up and one of the guys that I sent a message to by the way I hope you're not a believer of coincidence my friend Chandra had been praying for life point at midnight, exactly as I was sitting at my bar in my house, praying for New Life Churches in Nepal. And he said, I can't believe you just sent this because it's midnight and I couldn't sleep and I began to think about y'all and I began to pray for you and your family and for Life Point. That's the beauty of how the Spirit is at work, uniting our hearts to be committed to one another and to be thankful for one another. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to give you an application right now. And the application is this. Sometime this week, I want you to send a message to somebody 
that's been on your heart and been on your mind for a while. And just tell them of your love, pray for them, communicate to them, and let's practice. As we pray, we are thankful for the people who are in our lives. And then he prays this. Look at verse 5. Paul is incredibly thankful because as he begins to think about Philemon, he, he remembers that Philemon was a man of great integrity. And he says, listen, because I, I'm so thankful because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward Jesus and toward the saints. Philemon, I know that you, when I pray about you, I know this to be true because I spent time with you. I know you love the Lord and I know you love the saints of God. You love the people of God. And here I am in Rome, locked up in a prison cell, and right here in this moment, I am receiving comfort and love and encouragement as I think about the love that you have for Jesus and for the saints. So let me remind us of something that is to be true about our lives. Love is to be heard of from our lives. We should all have the kind of reputation that where people know that person loves God. They value who God is. They value His Word. They value walking with Him. We don't want to have the kind of reputation that says that person is cranky all the time or that person is this. We want to be the kind of person that when they hear about us, they know that we love God. And not only do we love God, but that we love His people, God's people. And we love the saints. So Paul uses this deepest word here. It's agape. It's the kind of love that only God can really give. But as Paul's praying, he's thinking about Philemon, and he's incredibly grateful for him. Philemon's good reputation of a right faith that loves God and loves the people of God impacts the life of Paul. So this is what should be true of our lives, that we have a good reputation that impacts others. Look at verse 6. And then he says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He prays for the maturity that exists in the life of Philemon that would have effect upon other people. So let me talk about just a couple of things here and, and then we'll finish. This word sharing of your faith here is not the Roman road, the three circles, the bridge illustration. A better translation of this word literally means this, that the sharing of your faith, it, it means this, it's the word called koinonia, community. That your faith in the midst of the church that meets in your house would be such of the kind of faith that it would have impact upon those in the church, would have impact upon those in the community that look at the believers that are there. And so that the sharing of your faith, the faith life that you have that walks with God and loves God and and allows the church to continue to meet in your house. I am praying that the testimony and the sharing of your life and your faith would have a great impact, and it would honor God, and it would reveal itself 
in glorifying Him. And it would become effective. This word, so this sharing of your faith to be effective is the idea of sharing our life in such a way in community with one another. The second aspect that he talks about there, it says that it would become effective. This is a Greek word that means it would have energy. It would have energy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I said this a few weeks ago, but I just want to be honest this morning with you. I want to identify with you. Okay? I get paid to come to church. I know that you don't get paid to come to church. So I'm sometimes like you. It's much easier today when the sun was up already. But when the sun just sinks low and, and you've had a tough weekend, you had a tough week, there, let's be honest, there are some Sunday mornings that you wake up and go, boy, I could just lay here till 1030. Your pastor feels that way sometimes too. But I'll say this. There has never been a Wednesday night with our students. There's never been a life group. There's never been a Sunday morning that when I came that there wasn't in the community of believers by listening to you and talking to you and hugging you and praying with you that there's not an energy that comes to my life that when I get in my car and I drive home that I'm not incredibly grateful that I came. This is, this is the importance of why we come together on Sunday morning. That in the community of believers, our sharing our lives with one another, our sharing our experiences with God during the week, it creates an energy that encourages us that we're not alone, that we have people that we love, and we know that there's people who care about us. And, and note this, that the key thing is, is that the sharing of our faith in community energizes us for this purpose, Paul writes. To know God, and he says that, that, they, that, it, that it would create this for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us in Christ. So I'm going to go home today. And I've had conversations with some of you before church And I hope to have some conversations with you after church. And I know this to be true, that I will go home today hearing tidbits and aspects of your life that will energize me and that teach me more about who God is. And when I learn more about who God is, there is a unity that comes in the midst of that, of our gathering together, that cannot be found anywhere else. It can't be found anywhere else. Because the center of what we are doing here is glorifying Jesus. Lastly, when community and knowing God is at work, you see the wonder of that community and its its efficiency. The church is blessed when they live this way. So look at verse 7, our last verse this morning. He says, for I have derived, keep in mind, Paul's in a prison cell. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The church is unlike any entity on the planet. So let me picture it to you. 
Paul is in Rome. He loves God. He's been arrested because of his love for God. So he could feel sorry for himself. He could have a little pity party with Timothy, and they could just, he and Epaphras could just be sad that they're in prison. But he's not. Why is he not? Seems like circumstances dictate that he ought to kind of be sad about something. Note this. Philemon's love for God and love for the church was so powerful that a thousand miles away in a prison cell in Rome, Paul gets a smile on his face. And he thinks about times that he walked down the road with Philemon and they worshiped Jesus together. He thought about the times that they met in Philemon's house for church and Paul may have preached or somebody else preached and they were encouraged and they were energized because they were together. Paul says this, a thousand miles away, I have joy even though I can't see you because I know you, Philemon. You have such love for God and such love for the church of God's people that I have joy and you comfort me because I know that to be true about your life. Philemon's life helped make prison easier for Paul. And I want to ask this question for us this morning. Are you and I fighting to have those kind of people in our lives? Are you and I desiring to walk with God, to be that kind of person in somebody else's life? Because I can promise you, you know this to be true, many of us do. There'll be a Thursday afternoon or a Thursday night at 2.37 in the morning that you're going to need somebody to call and to come to your house and to sit with you and to pray and to intercede and to be with you. You and I are going to need people to go when we get chemotherapy in the days ahead if somebody has cancer. We're going to need people to sit with us to encourage us. And the church is to be a place of deep knowledge of God and deep love for the people of God. And when that happens, there's an energy that comes to those people where they share their life together in a powerful way. So I'm going to close with this and we'll get into the details of what it's going to be like when Onesimus gets back to Colossae. So the title this morning I told you was The Gospel Transforms Everything. About 50 years after Paul wrote the letter of Philemon, Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch, was being taken to Rome to be executed for his faith. He stopped along the way with those who had captured him in a place called Smyrna. You can see that. It's in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And when he stopped at Smyrna, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he commended, listen to this, this is just a possibility. He commended their bishop in Ephesus, whose name was Onesimus. While we cannot positively identify him as the once runaway slave, 
it is possible that he would have been alive at that particular point in time and potentially became the leader of the church in Ephesus. This is what the gospel can do. Now, we don't know for sure about that, but it's a possibility that that was the case. And the thing that makes the difference always is if we don't want more of Jesus, then what we've talked about today will never become a reality. But when God's people want Jesus, there's an energy that comes in the midst of that that builds community that is transformative. Now, we're never, life point is never going to arrive. It's not possible this side of heaven to arrive. But it is possible that this could greatly increase in our life of being in the midst of our lives in a more significant way that brings energy every time we see one another. I don't want you seeing me at Walmart and going, oh no. no. I want you to see me at Walmart and come up to me and hug me and that there's energy because we love one another and we love the gospel. That's how this little postcard begins. And then Paul's going to deal with the root issue next week. Let's pray.